This Week at Hope Point. So we are given this perfect robe of Christ, but then there is this emphasis that every righteous act that we've ever done will also be part of the decoration and the adornment of our heavenly clothing. How you spend your life matters to God. Every evil that you've done will be covered by Christ. Every act of righteousness that you've done for Him will be remembered and rewarded. What a deal! We're so glad to have you join us for today's message. We pray that it would challenge and encourage you to applaud God, follow Christ, and live on mission. Let's listen to what Richard has to say to us from God's holy word. My preaching professor used to say that, say, man, if you would just trust the systematic teaching of the Bible, you'll be amazed of how many Sundays line up with what your people are experiencing with what God has written in his word. And nothing could be more true uh, of that than today, Thanksgiving weekend, we are celebrating a passage of scripture in Revelation 19 that includes four expressions of thanksgiving called the four hallelujahs, four praise the Lord's, which is what that word means. I don't know what you did around your Thanksgiving table this week uh, about maybe sharing what you were thankful for about 2023, but if I were to ask you that, I think a common answer, I'm thankful for my family, uh, other relationships, friends, I'm thankful for my health, and I'm thankful for my job and income. But when we come to Revelation 19, we see new things, even higher things. The other things we just mentioned are great things to be grateful for, but when they write praise songs in heaven, they praise God for much more than what I just mentioned. They praise God through four hallelujahs. The first is, we thank God for enacting justice against evil. Revelation 19, after this, I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, hallelujah. Salvation and glory and power belong to our God for true and just are his judgments. He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants. So when John begins this chapter with saying after this, he's referring to the previous two chapters where we saw the world system of evil um, be destroyed. The world system of evil that said, go seek sinful pleasure and go acquire material blessings at the expense of worshiping God. And here he refers to that world system as a prostitute because of its power to seduce people to believe that the world offers us more than God. And so now the hallelujah is because of the destruction of evil that lied to so many people on earth and the destruction of evil that persecuted the church that you see at the end of verse two. Now that avenging of the church's suffering was also mentioned at the end of the last chapter. Revelation 18, 24, in her, that's the, the city, the corrupt evil system was found, the blood of prophets and of God's holy people of all who have been slaughtered on, on the earth. 
So the reason why this hallelujah, this first one is so important in Revelation 19 is because it is the answer to the question that was asked when we started studying the book way long time ago in Revelation chapter 6, a group of martyrs, those who had sacrificed possessions and their life for Christ, asked God this question. Revelation 6, verse 10, how long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood. Now those, and God, God's answer to them is, wait. <laughs> Something we don't like to hear, be patient. <laughs> I, I will keep my promise. And so for these 13 chapters, or in our real time, 21 centuries at least, now the church has been suffering, and you get to Revelation chapter 19, and it is encouraging because Finally, we see the Lord responding. His answer is, is he's faithful and true. That is, every promise that he's ever made to judge every injustice that's done against the church is kept in Revelation chapter 19. You need to understand that God loves his church more than any thing else on earth. The whole purpose of the Bible is God calling out of the world a people that will enjoy the pleasures of worshiping God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit forever in heaven. And when that church is attacked on earth, nothing gets the attention of God more than that. So the first hallelujah is, God, thank you for remembering all the suffering of your church. The second uh, hallelujah is for the fact that we thank God for final and permanent justice. It's interesting how this is phrased in chapter 19, verse 3. Hallelujah, second hallelujah. The smoke from the world, her, goes up forever and ever. Smoke goes up forever and ever. This is a sobering reminder that when God finally enacts justice against the world for all of its injustice, it's irreversible. It's not like some slick, corrupt lawyer is going to come in and undermine the justice system with deceitful arguments. It's not like some politician is gonna use bribery and intimidation, again, to undermine the justice system. When God says, He's going to judge the world finally, uh, irrevocably. It is a trustworthy statement. Therefore, heaven is rejoicing that suffering injustice will never occur on earth again. Um, history is replete with uh, acts of injustice. And if you read at all, if you just spend any time studying history or even current news, your heart will be aware, your heart will grieve over all the injustice that's done in the world. Most of the time, or much of the time, the injustice that comes in the world is done by tyrannical dictators who abuse the very people that they were called to lead. And so whenever we see one of these dictatorships fall, and oppression relieved, there is a hallelujah, God, for this slight 
relief of pain on a very uh, unjust earth. Um, Nicolae Ceausescu was a Roman dictator, ruled there in Romania 24 years, 1965 to 1989. And he ruled with a sickening arrogance, along with his wife, Elena, who he appointed to a high position of political office and power. He orchestrated big celebrations throughout the country where people would gather in stadiums to either recite poems about his greatness or sing songs to his greatness along with the greatness of, of his wife. The Ceausescus looked a lot like who we saw in Revelation 18 where the Bible says, in her heart she boasts, I sit enthroned as a queen, I will never mourn. I'll never be defeated. Uh, Ceausescu was so committed to forcing loyalty from the Romanian citizens that he established what was called the Securitate, which was his secret police in the 1980s. It is estimated that one in every four citizens in Romania was an informant who would be willing to turn against fellow citizens to be a part of the Securitate. Uh, the Securitate was involved in the death of thousands of dissenters who were informed on in this time period. Ceausescu, his economic policies were absolutely horrible. He devastated the standard of living for Romanian people while his standard of living increased. He absolutely demolished one of the most beautiful suburbs in Bucharest and in its place established the colossal House of the Republic where he and his wife lived. So while he lived in absolute opulence, the population of Romania suffered food shortages, heat shortages, electricity shortage. During Romania's winters, hundreds of people froze to death in dark apartments while he lived there. By the end of 1989, the people of Romania had had enough. And if you're my age, you remember uh, that uprising when they stood together. The first decisive moment in that uprising occurred in the Romanian city of Timisoara that uh, took place in December of 1989. The government had issued um, an order to, um, to deport an ethnic Hungarian pastor who had had the guts to preach against the government, to call it out, uh, to say it's immoral what they're doing, and because of that, the government was uh, going to deport uh, this priest named Laszlo Tokes. When his church learned of the government's order to deport him, 40 of his prisoners showed up at his house to stand with him against the government. So the head of the local militia who had received this order decided it was not the right time to enforce this. But on December 16th of 1989, Nikolai Ceausescu ordered uh, the militia and the securitate to go ahead and arrest him and deport the pastor. Hundreds of protesters from the city formed a human chain around the pastor's house. By evening, hundreds of people had joined to protest the corruption and 
when Ceausescu realized that uh, a true uprising was in the making, he ordered his police to turn their guns on the protesters. Dozens and dozens were killed. Um, the Romanian uprising had begun. It lasted for more than three days. Eventually, a thousand Romanian citizens were killed during this time. As discontent began to grow, Ceausescu wanted to reinforce the belief, the false belief, the false teaching that the country was in good shape. And so he gathered uh, a stadium full of people in Bucharest in order to persuade them that he was a good leader. And as he stood with his wife before the people, as he tried to persuade them to continue to give them their loyalty, all they shouted were boos and shouts of Timisoara, Timisoara, the city where everybody had been killed. Ceausescu and his wife were forced to flee uh, Bucharest by way of helicopter, but were arrested 80 kilometers away uh, by government leaders who had turned against him. So on Christmas Day of 1989, uh, Ceausescu and his wife, uh, Elena, uh, were brought to trial. The trial lasted only 55 minutes. Reminded me of that verse in Revelation 18 that we saw two weeks ago. Woe, woe to you, great city, you mighty city of Babylon. In one hour, your doom has come. 24 years of building power was over in 55 minutes or one hour. The Ceausescu's were found guilty of committing genocide, subverting state power, uh, undermining the national economy, attempting to flee Romania with public funds. And because they had been a part of ordering the deaths of so many Romanians, they were also sentenced to death. Hundreds of soldiers volunteered to be part of the firing squad. Everyone, one soldier said, everybody wanted to shoot and almost every one of them did. 120 bullets were fired at the couple. And the evil regime of 24 years was finally over. So anytime we have a moment like this in history where evil is taken down in such a fashion, we breathe a sigh of relief that the vulnerable are no longer oppressed by evil tyranny. And that's why there are hallelujahs shouted in heaven in Revelation 19, because there will come a day where evil will be destroyed forever and ever and ever. Justice will be no longer challenged. You know, some people regard these first two hallelujahs in Revelation as vindictive and spiteful. You say, well, they should not rejoice in the, the vanquishing of, of evil. Just in case, if you wonder that, could this really be right to praise God for justice? It's actually commanded to do so. We saw that, or I didn't look at this verse, but it was in the previous chapter. Revelation 18, verse 20, rejoice over uh, the world system, you heavens, Rejoice, you people of God. Rejoice, apostles and prophets, for God has judged her with the judgment she imposed on you. So there's no reason to get more biblical than the Bible. We are called to rejoice in the justice of God. People who struggle with passages like this 
simply are unaware of the injustice in the world. Spend all their time making TikTok videos instead of reading history or even watching current events when the world is being slaughtered every day. Nor do they understand how determined the world is to reject the mercy of God that has been purchased by the blood of Christ, mercy that he would be willing to give to anybody, including the Ceausescus, if they would have repented. And they reject not only the laws of God, but the mercy of God. The Bible says that we're all guilty of, of sinning against the holiness of God. Romans 3, 23, very familiar to you. For all have sinned, includes everybody in this room and everybody around the world. All have sinned and fall short of God's glory. And the wages of sin or the just response of God is our death, eternal death. So that's what we deserve. There's nobody that can walk into the courtroom of God and expect a light sentence Death is what everybody gets for their refusal to give God the worship and devotion that he deserves. But God, who loves justice, also loves mercy and has made a way for us to escape this judgment. First Peter 3, for Christ, Son of God, also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous or the, the just for the unjust, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. I thought a lot this week of what did I want to say about that verse. It's one of the greatest verses in the Bible. This would be my paraphrase of this verse. This is what I'm thankful for at Thanksgiving. Jesus died the death I should have died so that I could live forever joyfully by God's side. That's the gospel. You would think that would thrill anybody on earth, but for all of history, the world has been trying to squash that message coming from the pulpits of the church and the mouths of faithful Christians. The world does not want to hear that it is accountable to God. The world does not want to hear that there is only one way to be forgiven of sin through the death of Jesus Christ. So for centuries, the world has been persecuting the church, putting to death the church. The reason why we struggle with praising God for his justice is that we just don't know how much the average Christian suffers around the world because it's not here. We, we live in a totally different world than the real world of suffering for your faith. And so why are there so many hallelujahs in heaven for the justice of God? Because many people throughout history have paid quite a price for being a faithful witness to proclaiming the salvation of Jesus Christ to the world. Number three, reason, number th third reason we shout hallelujah, 
We thank God that everyone who comes to Christ is welcomed in heaven. Everyone who comes to Christ is welcomed. Love this verse. These set of verses. The 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne. And they cried, amen, hallelujah. That's number three. Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, both great and small. I love our fancy title in heaven, servant of God. Revelation 18, all the world wanted glitter, pearls, gold, fancy titles. There's the title we get in heaven, servant of God. Because that's the greatest privilege in the world, to be able to give God anything, to say thank you for what you've done, to serve him. I'm grateful for all those people who are holding babies now, serving the God who saved them. Running those cameras, serving the God who sent Jesus to save us. What a privilege to serve God. You know, when you look at the New Testament, that term, servant, doulos, can be translated servant or slave. Uh, a slave in the New Testament was somebody who willingly became a bond slave, willingly became a slave of another because they wanted to serve them. And so whenever you see servant, think servant, bond slave. A lot of people are called bond slaves in the Bible. <laughs> the Apostle Paul referred to himself as a slave of God. Titus, Epaphras, the great prayer, then Tychicus, James, Peter, Jude, John, and Jesus. Philippians 2, though he existed in the form of God, gave it all up to become a bond slave of God. A man came to my office a few weeks ago, one of our internationals, and uh, I forgot to, man, I'm sorry I did that. I forgot to uh, give this picture to you today, but we had about 300 internationals eat Thanksgiving uh, with us in the uh, lobby and all over the building this week, uh, this weekend, uh, from about five language, five nations of the world, 300 people. But one of the internationals came to my office a few weeks ago, and you know he lived really close to Romania uh, in 2016. That's where he grew up. And uh, by God's grace, uh, God, the Lord brought him to America, a place of uh, immeasurable opportunity and blessing. And his business indeed has been blessed. And so he was telling me about that. And so I was just rejoicing in all that God has done in his business and his family and his community involvement. And I think he thought I was praising him. So he said, no, 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 stop, stop. I came to tell you this is the story of Jesus' grace on my life, not me. And then he looked at me and said, I am just his silver. So he looked sort of puzzled when he said that. I looked puzzled when he said that. Then he laughed at himself and said, no, 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 I am his slave. I'm just Jesus' slave. He knew there was an S, L, and a V. Came out silver, then the right one was slave. 
The most joyful people in life, the most free people in life are those who say to God, I want to be your slave. I want to be your servant. I don't want to be in charge of me anymore. You are worthy of my devotion. No one loves me like you do, God. No one is more trustworthy to lead my life than you. I want you to be my master. I want to be your servant. There's one more thing I love about Revelation 18, verse 5. Not just the, the title of servants, but uh, that other description said, Praise our God, all you who serve us, you who fear him, both great and small. <laughs> Literally in the Greek, both the mega and the micro. <laughs> now you tell me, these are the people that have a front row seat to God in heaven, great and small. You tell me where in life can the great and the small go to any event and have the same seat side by side? Where can the rich and the poor go to the same event and both of them have equal access to the, to the stage? The educated and the uneducated, equal access. The famous and the unknown, side by side, front row seat, where on this earth is that equity granted? Nowhere. It is in heaven. The great and the small are welcomed before the throne of God. When the God of infinite power and wisdom opens his doors, he invites the great and the small to sit together. So now we're ready for the fourth hallelujah. That is, we thank God that we are part of history's greatest wedding. Revelation 19, 6. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, like loud peals of thunder, shouting hallelujah, number four, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Dear church, you have waited so long for us to get to this chapter. Oh, I realize that chapter 17 and 18 were not easy, including a few more chapters before that. It was not easy to watch in chapter 17 the destruction of the prostitute, the world system. She or it started off dressed in fine linen, pearls, and gold, and by the end of the chapter, the world had ripped her clothes, ripped its clothes off, and killed her. Again, not the description of a prostitute, but description of the world destroying the world. It broke our hearts and grieved our hearts to see that those who trust in the world system will be destroyed by the world system. So a lot of judgment in chapter 17 and 18. And finally, we come to chapter 19 to the wedding of Christ Jesus and the church. I mean, chapter 17 and 18 about a prostitute, chapter 19 about a bride. They're two different 
vastly different people. A prostitute has many lovers, none of whom she loves. A bride has one lover, the groom to which she will be eternally bound to. So what's she wearing on her wedding day? Brides have to have a dress. It says, verse eight, fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. So where does she get her dress? Well, there's, there's two answers, and both of them are right, but they have to come in the right order. The first place, uh, or the, the first answer of where do we get our clothing in heaven, it comes from the groom, a gift by Jesus to us. We know that because one of the end times prophecies in the book of Isaiah speaks about this event. Isaiah 61.10, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. Okay, now if you press me, what am I most grateful for? Thanksgiving, that's it. 62 years of me failing God, and when I stand before him, I will be given a perfect, holy, spotless robe by Jesus. And he will see only himself in that robe. You remember the, one of the great stories that Jesus told? The prodigal son, rebellious boy, left his father, mocked his father, wasted his inheritance, ran away, squandered all his money, did shameful things, ended up being very poor, living with pigs, having to eat their food, came back, starving to death, returned to his father, hoping that his father might just give him some job on the farm, he smelled terrible, and the first thing his father did was to hug him and give this command. Quick, bring the best robe and put it around my son. This is what Jesus does to all sinners who come to him. He covers them with his perfection. So that's the first place that we get clothing in heaven is is um, Jesus gives it to us. But there is a hint here. There's something about the clothing that emanates from us as well. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. So we are given this perfect robe of Christ but then there is this emphasis that every righteous act that we've ever done will also be part of the decoration and the adornment of our heavenly clothing. How you spend your life matters to God.
Every evil that you've done will be covered by Christ. Every act of righteousness that you've done for him will be remembered and rewarded. What a deal. I think the intention of all of this talk in Revelation 19 about the wedding is simply to remind you of how beautiful you're going to be in glory. You don't feel too beautiful now, do you? I don't. I know what this past week was like, what was in my head, in my heart. And I just can't wait till when I'm clothed perfectly, completely, finally, by the robe of Christ, no more suffering, no more doubting, no more depression, no more anxiety, no more battling with the flesh, no more trying to not believe the lies of the world. What Revelation 19 promises us is that there will be a day where we, are, we experience an infinite joy because we are finally infinitely beautiful. Just as God is infinitely beautiful. And that will be the source of our joy. Not just because you see yourself. You know, you'll see yourself not as flawed. But it's going to be the first time in history where Jesus will see his church not flawed. I mean, he knows that we're dust now. He knows that we're flawed. He knows that we're weak. He knows that we still sin. But there's going to come a day where his church will no longer have the blood of persecution on its clothing, no longer have the shame of sin on its hands. We will be perfect and we will be done with suffering. I do a lot of weddings, 37 years, a lot of weddings, and I'll tell you, it never gets old to me to see the joy on a bride's face. And I feel like I have the, you know, the best seat in the house as she's coming down the aisle. Looking at that groom, she's been waiting for this day for so long. Three weeks ago, you were kind enough to let me be gone on a Sunday to do a wedding up in North Georgia for um, a man and his wife. I met the guy here in 2012. He was a student at VCOM, the medical school, and uh, had gone through the army and some other things and found a wife and said, uh, could you do my wedding? So Lisa and I drove to North Georgia to do the wedding for Morgan and Olivia and I just love, there's no such thing as a bride that's not beautiful. There on her wedding day, this is the first time that he has seen her in her wedding dress. I mean, he's, he's dated her. They've, she's gotten dressed up. They've gone out to restaurants or sometimes he might you know, go to her place on a Saturday night and she's all in sweats and they eat chocolate chip cookies but today, and he's always thought she was beautiful, but on this day, she is radiant because of the dress. Doesn't matter whether it was, she got a deal on it or it was expensive, it's her wedding dress. She is radiant. He's seen her in many outfits, but he's never seen her look this stunning. He's talked with her on the phone, they've exchanged texts, they've been, They've had many events in life together, good ones, hard ones. But on this day, there's nothing but joy on her face. 
It's a joy he's never seen in his life. Jesus has never seen you like you're going to look in heaven. And of course, you'll, never see, you'll have never seen Jesus like he's going to look on the day of the wedding as well. Joy, joy, joy. You know what I love about weddings also? The ceremony is, is unbelievable. I love, you know, I've, I've done the, the premarital counseling. I've heard how they met, how God brought them together. And so I just see providence all over this. And then I get, I love to pronounce them, uh, you know, I pronounce you husband and wife for a lifetime. And then they go off. Take some family pictures and then we're all waiting in the reception hall. Finally, the bride and groom enter. Music's going. There's food. There's family. There's friends. There's fun galore. There's dancing. There's feasting. And now all of the joy is just doubled. And then all of a sudden, the DJ stops and says, and now the bride and groom are going to have their first dance together. And we're all just gathered around, oohing and on. People got their phones out. They can't get enough of the bride and groom finally being together. No longer is it a date on the calendar that's six months out, six weeks or six days out. It's here that this is what Revelation 19 is all about. There's going to come a day. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. It's coming. If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, believe that he's the savior of sin, you have told him, save me from sin, you're going to be there. At the greatest gathering of joy that only increases day after day. You know, some of our greatest moments in life are made joyful because the moment, the friends, and the food, for sure. We laugh at it, but when we think about it, my best moments are with people that I love and we're eating something. And that's why it's so cool when Jesus, early in the book, said to the church in Revelation 3.20, I stand at the door knocking. Anybody who opens that door, I'm going to come in and eat with him, and he will eat with me. The prodigal son, when he came back and the father put the robe around him, the next thing the father said was, go prepare a meal and invite the community to celebrate that my son has been found. Everything about this passage in Revelation is about the joy that is so great that it, God tells us of this joy to persuade us, wait for it. Endure. Give your life away now. Serve, sacrifice, suffer now because of the joy that's coming. It's guaranteed. It's going to be better than any of the glittering and the gold that the world offers. Wait for the joy, the higher joy, the better joy, the unending joy of the feast of Jesus Christ and his church at the wedding 
of the Lamb and you. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast from Hope Point Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. If you would like to learn more about us or give to this ministry, please go to our website at hopepoint.org. We hope you can join us again next week.